Disclaimer. Under Section 107 of the Copyright Act of 1976, allowance is made for fair use for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, education, and research. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Soul Podcast. I am your host, Brother Hall. When formulating another topic for the podcast, I had to figure out what I actually wanted to talk about after I did a little bit of research on it. And uh, our more compass came into play. So I did a little bit of research and found some interesting books and lectures and studies that uh, the audience might be interested in reading or hearing. I always thought about, uh, especially recently, if our more compass can be manipulated. And if so, how? And also, can it be manipulated for good? So this is something that I prepared uh, a short time ago. And here it is. Can our moral compass be manipulated? The moral compass is an internalized set of guiding principles that shape an individual's ethical decisions and actions. It serves as a moral guide influencing choices and behaviors by providing a sense of right and wrong. This metaphorical compass helps individuals navigate the complexities of life, offering direction and more dilemmas and ethical quandaries. And I personally think that uh, your compass should be, in, should be internal, of course, and not external, meaning that your heart should be the foundation of your morality. And at this junction of uh, of our existence, I don't think too many people uh, actually know the power that they hold within inside their own hearts. At its core, a moral compass is developed through a combination of cultural, societal, familial, and personal influences. Cultural and societal norms contribute to the formation of a shared moral framework within a community. Family upbringing, religious teachings, and educational experiences also play pivotal roles in shaping an individual's moral compass. Over time, personal reflection and life experiences further refine and solidify these moral beliefs. Some of these are, are external uh, morality codes given to you from the time you are a toddler all the way to the, basically to the rest of your life. These codes can be changed or manipulated to benefit other entities. One key aspect of the moral compass is the distinction between right and wrong. It helps individuals make the ethical decisions by providing a reference point for evaluating the consequences and implications of their actions. The moral compass is not static. It evolves as individuals encounter new perspectives and engage in continuous self-reflection. The majority of the people whose moral code is outside themselves or outside the norms, the majority of the people whose moral code is outside the norms self-reflect often about the consequences they may face. Many that anybody that speaks outside of the normal box <laughs> will get the hammer to get put back down, basically. Uh, 
the people that express themselves freely, I think, understands that whatever you say comes with consequences. But I don't think it should be like that. You know, how can you grow? How can a society grow and develop if there are not differing views of opinion? How can a society advance if everybody thinks the same way? How can a society advance if the authority figures are telling everybody to think in a specific manner? Not even only that, you're no longer free, you don't have freedom of conscience, or you don't have freedom of autonomy. With that, integrity and honesty are often considered fundamental components of a strong moral compass. Individuals guided by a strong moral compass strive to act in ways that align with their ethical principles, even when faced with challenges or temptations. This commitment to moral values fosters trust and reliability in personal and professional relationships. And another interjection that I have is uh, we take on external moral codes consciously and unconsciously. External moral codes are easy to drop when faced with adversity. They become easy to ignore when your morality isn't from the heart. Empathy and compassion are integral to the moral compass emphasizing the importance of understanding and considering the feelings and perspectives of others. These qualities contribute to the development of a sense of justice and fairness, reinforcing the idea that ethical behavior involves not only adhering to personal values, but also promoting the well-being of others. Humanity cannot survive without empathy and compassion. No species on the planet can survive without it. The moral compass is not a one-size-fits-all concept. It acknowledges the diversity of ethical beliefs and values. While some principles may be universally regarded as morally upright, the interpretation and prioritization of these principles can vary among individuals and cultures. This diversity highlights the need for an open-mindedness and tolerance in ethical decisions. And I think that we cannot put someone else's morality on as a cloak. You must individually know what your heart would stand for. And in turn, the other side of that coin, I also cannot expect someone else's or I cannot project my morality onto someone else. And then again, you're, you're leaving that person without the freedom of autonomy or freedom of conscience, of their own conscience. Our own hearts would tell us what's moral and what is not. We have lost the ability to receive knowledge from our own hearts. Some people even believe that the influence of the moral compass extends beyond individual decision-making to societal structures and institutions. A society's collective moral compass is reflected in its laws, policies, and social norms. When individuals collectively adhere to a shared moral framework, it contributes to the establishment of a just and harmonious society. But what if a society's collective moral compass is asked backwards? Then what? The person that listens to their hearts will become an outcast. The moral compass serves 
as an internal guide that shapes ethical decision-making by providing a sense of direction based on one's values and principles. It is a dynamic and evolving concept influenced by our culture, our society, family, and personal factors, and our integrity. Empathy and compassion are keys to components. The moral compass serves as internal guide. The moral compass serves as an internal guide that shapes ethical decision-making by providing a sense of direction based on one's values and principles. It is a dynamic and evolving concept influenced by our culture, society, family, personal factors, our own individual integrity, our own levels of empathy and compassion, which are all key components, fostering ethical behavior and contributing to the well-being of individuals and communities. As individuals navigate the complexities of life, their moral compass plays a crucial role in determining the path they choose to follow. Look at the world now. People are showing you the work of their moral compass. They're showing you their degrees that they have in morality. But the question was, how can someone take on the moral compass of someone else? Someone else's moral compass involves understanding their values, beliefs, and ethical principles. Engage in open conversations, ask about their experiences, and reflect on how their perspective aligns with your own values. Keep in mind that it's essential to retain critical thinking and adapt selectively as blindly adopting another's moral compass may not be suitable for every situation. And one example of that is if I join a fraternal organization, some fraternal organizations expect you to take on the beef with another fraternal organization. Meaning that once you become initiated in that society, you are now expected to carry on the energy of that society. You are now expected to discharge your duties for that society. But at what point are you taking on the moral compass of someone else and instead of understanding your own moral compass and expressing that? No, I do understand if moral compass you are discharging if you have the same values after you have had an open dialogue on specific topic. But where is the disconnect when you don't have the same values in a specific topic? Now what do you do? Is it possible for your moral compass to be manipulated? Yes. It is possible to influence someone's moral compass through various means, such as persuasion, exposures to different perspectives, and societal norms or influences. However, attempting to manipulate or coerce someone's moral compass raises ethical questions and may not lead to genuine or lasting changes. Respecting autonomy and engaging in open, honest conversations is generally more ethical and effective. And that was some of the written part that I prepared for the podcast. And next up is uh, some of the little bit of research I found dealing with uh, 
can our moral compass be manipulated? I have a couple of book references and uh, a research study, and I think a lecture on this specific topic. So let me begin that. And first up, this is a paper written in the National Library of Medicine and it's titled Harm to Others Outweighs Harm to Self in More Decision Making. I think this was a study. I will read some of the bullet points I found interesting. You can look up that paper for yourself and uh, find these actual bullet points that I made that's currently or have been in this uh, National Library of Medicine paper. Surprisingly, and this is the, here are some of the bullet points. Here, we address this question in two experiments by asking subjects to trade off profits for themselves against paying for themselves or an anonymous other person. Surprisingly, most people sacrifice more money to reduce a stranger's pain than their own pain. This finding may help us better understand how people resolve moral dilemmas that commonly arise in medical, legal, and political decision-making. Moral decisions often involve sacrificing personal benefits to prevent the suffering of others. Disregard for other suffering is a core feature of antisocial and criminal behaviors that confer tremendous economic and psychological costs on society. In the theory of moral sentiments, Adam Smith argues that the indeliable stain of guilt is worse than pain. For one man unjustly to promote his own advantage by the loss or disadvantage of another is more contrary to nature than death, than poverty, than pain, than all the misfortunes which can affect him. We describe an experimental setting in which people care more about an anonymous stranger's pain than their own pain, despite the fact that their decisions were completely anonymous, with no future possibility of being uh, judged adversely or punished. This counterintuitive finding is inconsistent with previous studies of social preferences, where most people value others' monetary outcomes much less than their own. And one of the book sources that I have here, I don't know if you have read it or not, and uh, I'm sure you heard of this book right here, The 48 Laws of Power, The Art of Manipulation. Another book, uh, Coercion, Manipulation, Exploitation by Alan W. Wood, a little excerpt or uh, of the abstract, and I quote, Coercion, Manipulation, and Exploitation are related concepts, all of which refer to behavior that is morally problematic. It is proposed that all three be understood as not moralized, quote, end quote i.e. not containing immorality as part of their very meaning. Coercion is understood as either having no choice or as having no acceptable choice. Manipulation is the steering or influencing of the choices of others by means that might be morally problematic, though not necessarily wrong in all cases. Three forms of manipulation are distinguished. 
Deception, pressuring, and employing emotional vulnerability or character defects. Exploitation involves making use of the vulnerabilities of others for your ends. End quote. That was an interesting abstract. Eat the meat, throw away the bones. Here is another paper by the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, The Ethics of Manipulation. This first appeared in, or published in 2018 and revised in 2022. Some of those bullet points include section uh, 2.1, manipulation as bypassing reason. Manipulation is often said to bypass the target's rational deliberation. It is always clear, however, whether this claim is meant as a definition of manipulation or merely as a statement about manipulation, perhaps one that partly explains its moral status. But let us consider whether the idea that manipulation bypasses reason can serve as a definition of manipulation. Subliminal advertising tactics along with hypnosis and behavior conditioning are commonly portrayed as effective methods to influence others without their knowledge and thus without engaging their capacities for rational deliberation. The effectiveness of such tactics is almost certainly wildly exaggerated in the popular and sometimes philosophical imagination. What the author is trying to say from my understanding is that, because that's the only understanding I can lean on is my own, Right from that understanding, from the angle I'm looking at it, is that uh, manipulating somebody's uh, behavior is over exaggerated from the public. But when you actually think about it, when you search the internet, your buying habits, quote unquote, are being manipulated. Whatever you click on will be right back at you the following day till how long. Many that you cannot click on anything currently right now on the internet and not have that track you years from now. I think that is a form of manipulation. Somebody else is trying to force you to buy something by always having that item or object in your sight. Another point, 3.3, manipulation and autonomy. Another natural way to account for the wrongness of manipulation would be to claim that it violates and undermines or is otherwise antithetical to the target's personal autonomy. Take that sentence from what you may. Manipulation by definition influences decision-making by means that unlike rational persuasion do not seem to be autonomy-preserving. Thus, it is natural to regard it as interfering with autonomous decision-making. The idea that manipulation is wrong because it undermines autonomous choice is implicit in, dis in discussions of manipulation as a potential invalidator of consent. But even outside of discussions of autonomous consent, the claim that manipulation is immoral because it undermines autonomy is commonly made and perhaps even more commonly assumed. So basically what I get out of that sentence is they're trying to moralize manipulation. <laughs> they're trying to justify manipulation by putting the definition in a different category. And the end statement that I have, uh, which is part of the bullet points of uh, the ethics of manipulation, 
even if we accept that manipulation undermines autonomous choice, we must be careful not to use that as a reason to suspect that people who make different choices from what we think are best must therefore be victims of manipulation, which that is a totally different topic, I think. It would be ironic and unjust to use the idea that manipulation is a wrongful interference with autonomy as a weapon to delegitimize the autonomous choices of people with whom we disregard or whose situations, needs, and values do not we do not understand. That is, The Ethics of Manipulation was written by Robert Nogle, N-O-G-G-L-E, and that was posted in the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, the summer 2022 edition. So, like I said previously, get what you can from it. Whatever that is said that don't feed your soul, remember listening to that heart again. If it don't agree with your heart, throw it out until you can come back at a later date. Do human rights guarantee autonomy? Now, this is a, another paper did by Janus Gumbus, G-A-U-N-I-U-S, Gumbus, G-U-M-B-I-S, G-U-M-B-I-S. And this right here is dealing with uh, international law, uh, declarations of human rights, which is the balance of everything I just said. Bullet point, or I'm quoting, an essential part of contemporary human rights is the concept of personal autonomy. Every person has to have autonomy so that he or she can feel free to make decisions. A person who feels free to make decisions will feel secure and happy. The human being is understood to be an essentially independent and individually developing entity. Of course, we cannot underestimate the role of society because the individual's life is not isolated and always influenced by many external factors. The intrinsic need to attain happiness and harmony often collides with obstacles. Hence, going back to the beginning of what I just said, uh, opening the show, being outside the box comes with consequences. Are you ready to deal with those consequences? because now you're stepping outside the norm. The autonomy foundation of human rights. This is the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights, Navy Pele, N-A-V-I-P-I-L-L-A-Y. And I quote, the declaration was envisioned and adopted in response to the failures of the League of Nations and the atrocities of World War II. Many believe that a third world war was imminent. Lessons and insights after the Nuremberg process resulted in the recognition of a new status for individuals. The international community presented this declaration to the world as a helpful guide for societies. There are several definitions for autonomy. The term autonomy originates from the Greek. It consists of two words, autos, his or her own, and nomos, rule. This term describes a person's ability to make his own, make his or her own rules in life and to make decisions independently. The idea that people must be free to shape their own lives is central to most accounts of autonomy. Another thing you should go look up is uh, 
the etymology of the word autonomy because the etymology is dealing with the mother word it comes from, right? The definitions change all the time. And usually, if you're dealing with autonomy and you really want to know what the word is born from, go find its etymology or its etymology or the E-T-Y abbreviation. It is the reason why this subject should be able to make his or her own laws. Particular rules of conduct or follow the values that are acceptable to his or her in practice. In general, any action or act can be described as autonomous only if the agent gives preference to this action. And this decision is independent and corresponds with his or her plan of action. End quote. And again, that was from Navy Pele, the United Nations High Commissioner for Human Rights. Autonomy. It is the acknowledgement of a person's right to hold views, to make choices, and to hold actions based on personal values and beliefs. If the state were to interfere in matters of personal morality, it would be treating the plans and values of some as superior to those of others. This applies also to other members of society. No member of the society has the right to violate someone's personal autonomy without a reasonable basis. And I think that term right there can be problematic because reasonable basis can mean a plethora of things. Terrorism, for example. Rioting, for example, in any kind of term you want to put on it. This reasonable basis is the autonomy of another person, another member of society. In the sphere of personal autonomy, a person has rights and only one duty, not to violate the autonomy of other individuals. Most commonly, autonomy can be understood as the right to be left alone and as a right to control certain kinds of information about oneself. In its maximum form, it entails complete rationality self-control, knowledge of relevant facts, and other demanding conditions internal to the agent, well as freedom and recourses to act. Personal freedom itself is the core postulate in the context of human rights. Every human being is inherently free to choose how extensively he or she wants to enjoy rights. No authority or institution has the powers to interfere as a regulator of the ego, the autonomous person. Freedom derives from behavior and consciousness of the human being. And as I interject, I think we see that every day on the internet. Somebody else is trying to regulate someone else's autonomy. Someone else is trying to regulate someone else's uh, freedom of conscience. Somebody else is trying to regulate somebody else's morality code. The supremacy of freedom is the ultimate regulator of our times. On, on the other hand, there are many common factors that constantly influence the individual, such as reputation and public opinion, ETC. Your public opinion can influence your reputation. 
off of your morality code, what you choose to stand up for from your heart. Those are some of the consequences of stepping outside the square. And a lot of sages in the ancient times knew this and knew what the results would be. But somebody had to do it. Somebody had to say it. Autonomy constitutes a prerequisite for proper implementation of human rights. The stronger personal autonomy is, the more advanced and productive a human being may strive to become. An autonomous person is the best self-advisor on compliance to his or her expertise and lifestyle, which I think goes right into your own heart. Rights embedded in a legal document are not sufficient to guarantee and protect a modern individual. Meaning that rights written down would not be protected. You have to protect your own rights by using them, by expressing them, by experiencing them. And that is a little piece of our, can our more compass be manipulated? You would have to come up with your own answer to that question. But it was just something that I was thinking about. And I answered it myself. Can our moral compass be manipulated? And I think it's manipulated all the time. But when your heart speaks, you know it. It's a different vibration that you would get. Some things you must stand on because of your own morality code. And those morality codes are influenced by a number of different factors also. My morality code from my family might be totally different from my actual family's morality code. And it might be similar. Or I might take out some parts and enter my own. That can happen also. But it's up to the individual to figure that out, to do that dissecting. And before I leave the show today, I would like to leave you with the philosophical concept of the summum bonum, S-U-M-M-U-M-B-O-N-U-M, which translates into the highest good. Summum bonum is a Latin expression that translates to the highest good in English. It is a philosophical concept that has been explored by various thinkers throughout history, including Aristotle and Thomas Aquinas. The idea revolves around identifying and pursuing the ultimate, overarching good or purpose in life. Different philosophical traditions offer diverse interpretations of what constitutes the summum bonum. For Aristotle, the summum bonum is associated with the concept of eudaimonia, often translated as flourishing or living well. This involves the cultivation of virtues and the realization of one's full potential. In contrast, Thomas Aquinas, influenced by Christian theology, integrated the notion of divine purpose into the concept suggesting that the highest good is ultimately aligned with God's will. Sonum Bonum serves as a guiding principle for ethical decision-making and life choices. 
encouraging individuals to reflect on their values and pursue actions that contribute to their ultimate well-being or fulfillment. Now, how many times have we have not acted for our well-being as human beings living in today's age? Their interpretation of Simon Bono can vary depending on cultural, religious, and philosophical perspectives. Simon Bono, the highest good, is attributed to Cicero and Cicero was a Stoic. Stoicism teaches the development of self-control as a means of overcoming destructive emotions. This philosophy holds that becoming a clear and unbiased thinker allows one to understand the universal logos. There are four rules dealing with Stoicism, which includes wisdom, justice, courage, and moderation. And the origins of uh, Stoicism, uh, some people report, comes from the ancient Greek ancient Greek school of philosophy by Zeno, from Citium, C-I-T-I-U-M, which was a Phoenician Greek city. He was impressed by the works of uh, Socrates, and we know that Socrates traveled to Egypt for uh, more than a few years to get initiated there in his learning. Zeno refused to compromise his principles for what society valued. And in other words, Zeno stood on the square. He stood on his own philosophical view of life, which, no, you can only respect that. In Zeno's writing of the Republic, it is a utopia whose citizens claim the universe as their home and where everyone lives in accordance with natural laws. And that's from uh, World History Encyclopedia. And if you are not familiar with natural laws, then I suggest you go look it up and do some studying, your own personal studying. And surprisingly, you still had a freedom to look stuff up for your own gratification. Currently, right now, you are free, a little bit free enough to go look stuff up, to research or to go back and relook at things with a different view, with a different vision. And eat the meat and throw away the bones. So I think the summum bunum dealing with the highest good is coming from your heart. Your heart's desire, I should say. Your heart's um, intentions. And I think that reflects pretty well with our own morality code. Some people don't even associate your morality code or your uh, morality compass with your uh, heart. The heart is automatically removed from any decision making, right, in today's society. That's, that's that person that's outside the box. And a lot of people, including myself, don't want to live in, in a world to where your heart isn't a factor. Everything is about your ego. Everything is about your own reasoning. When the first organ that was created in the womb was your heart. Not to mention, if you unfold the heart, it resembles a rope. There are some scientific discoveries and medical discoveries in that also. Is it a cable tow? How the heart is formed into the human body? Is it a lifeline or what? So your own morality code and your own moral compass should face in the direction you want it to face. It should not be manipulated to face somebody else's direction. 
if my morality code, if my morality compass is headed east or facing east, I don't want somebody else to put it north. You dig? If it's facing north, south or west, and I want it facing east, I'm going the wrong direction. I'm going to a place somebody else wants me to travel. But we have to know where our moral compass is taking us or what direction we want to go in. You know, and that's the input for the day. Can our moral compass be manipulated? And that's up for you to answer. And I think that's about all the time I have for today. This is Brother Hall, your host. And this is Seekers of Universal Lights or the Soul Podcast. The Soul Podcast can be found on Spotify, Red Circle, Stitcher, Radio Republic, if it's still up and running, and Simplecast, and iHeartRadio. And until next time, Fiat Lux, and Lutzi Tenebris. <laughs>